Hello, gentle listeners. This is Josh. I just wanted to say I am very sorry for the quality of the audio you're about to hear. I did my best to clean it up. Hopefully, this doesn't happen again. But if you feel like you have to skip this one, I understand. Although we will do our best to stay family-friendly, the content of this podcast is not intended for children. You are now listening to the Bit Critics Podcast, a retro role-playing game podcast brought to you by 3D6 In Order. Hello, I'm Alfred G. Oldman, and recording me remotely is Josh Davis. Together we are the Back in Time Critics, and this is our podcast. Josh, what are we doing today? Today we are reviewing the classic time-honored adventure module for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, Ravenloft. The original. I is, it six. O- is it October? Did, did I skip a few months in here? We don't. It doesn't need to be October for us to do a, a Ravenloft. I'm fairly certain it is required that you must review Ravenloft in October. Well, we are recording this in April, and maybe it will be October before this comes out. That's pretty bad. <laughs> I thought you were on top of the editing. All right, so... Uh... What, what what are we doing with this? How how are we going to go through it? Are we just going to dive in or? Yeah, let's let's Here. dive in. This is a classic adventure. I wanted to say first off, this adventure really holds up. Uh, you don't have to be a fan of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons to understand just reading this how formative this is. This is an adventure I would still play today and I would still love today and that is because there are so many things about it that make it replayable and you can have a different experience every single time. So I'm going to say the almost the exact opposite. Um, I'm currently running a Ravenloft campaign and the players are nowhere near the castle yet. And because uh, I'm not just doing this module, I'm doing an overall large scale campaign of it. And I am worried as to what exactly I'm going to do once they get there. Um, I think this adventure overall is an example of that old adage, don't meet your heroes. Because as much as I love this adventure when I was younger, looking back at it now, now, now I'm not saying it's a horrible adventure, but I'm saying that it is not what I thought it was all those years ago. So yeah, uh, I can see that. We'll we'll dive in and, and I'll touch on that as we hit parts that have uh that have changed in my eyes over the years. Yeah. So I will say the first time that I played this was about twenty years ago. And so, you know, I did not play this when it came out, obviously. Because this was released in nineteen eighty three. And uh, by the way, this was uh written by Tracy and Laura Hickman, who have become kind of rock stars in the Dungeons & Dragons world. (laughs) Yes, yes. As much as you can be a rock star in the Dungeons & Dragons world. Well, among the the who's who of Dungeons & Dragons authors and, you know, creators of original content, they are are really high up there. 
Um, right. They are authors of a number of other original novels and game lines. So, yeah, they're, they're very right. well known. And, and it, it kind of started and, with this. And Tracy Hickman is half of the uh, um, Dragonlance um, mm-hmm. Mind Trust. So, All right. Yes. So let's, let's, let's get into Ravenloft. Um, what, what do you know as a player? Let's start with the player perspective. Um, what do you know as a player coming into Ravenloft? What do you get at the very beginning? We get kind of a... Well, for starters, in this point, uh, there was no great Ravenloft demiplane of dread thing going on. This yeah. was just a, a standalone adventure. And it was meant to be plopped down into any game world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was part of, I guess I consider this part of the second wave of adventure modules. Because the first ones were very much either adapted, um, um, uh, cat dang it, competition content. What do you call those things? When you have oh, a bunch yeah, of people. The go- RPGA modules or the. Yeah, for the, the convention modules. tournament modules. Tournament, well, that's what, yeah. So, yeah, uh, they were either tournament modules or they were things specifically set in Greyhawk. Yeah. And this is when they kind of pulled back and said, we need to make things more generic because there are a lot of people doing their homebrew homebrew campaign worlds. Right. So, we so need give, this, give people something that is adaptable. Right. So the area that is Ravenloft is not another plane of existence. It's just that area over there on the other side of the mountain that your player characters have not been to yet. Yep, and it can be plopped into any campaign setting. That was the idea originally. Yes, um, yes. And from the player's point of view, uh, they uh, they get started, started off by getting a mysterious letter while they are carousing in a tavern between adventures. Yes, mysterious letter delivered by a man in brightly colored clothes, draped with loose folds. In an accented voice, he speaks... I have been sent to you to deliver this message. If anyway, you are we gonna, creatures uh, of are, honor. Are we are, doing the accents? Uh, I don't know. I was just doing it for this. Uh, okay, so anyway. He comes I thought we decided that accents were like no-go nowadays. Okay, so he shows up. The, the messenger shows up. Uh, pulls, in your, pulls in your player characters, who are supposed to be between 5th and 7th level, which is like, you know, kind of like experienced in Dungeons and Dragons. Not super high level, but you know, you've survived some basic adventures and you're not gonna get killed by a beetle. I don't know. What if it's an evil beetle? <laughs> it could be a really evil beetle. English beetle from the Yes. Anyway, uh yeah, he, he delivers you a letter and um he says, Don't travel to Svalich Woods at night. It says they're dangerous. But uh you must go to the Burgomaster. The Burgomaster will give you lots of money. There's lots of money. We have lots of money in Barovia. <laughs> yeah, they, they know how to how to get the players involved. And so naturally, <laughs> your player characters, if they've been playing Dungeons and Dragons as it exists in this time period, they're going to hear lots of money. <laughs> That's an adventure, right? Yes. Which I uh, now it's funny because uh, most people remember this adventure as being a step towards true storytelling as opposed to just you know money 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 right so it is kind of funny that the uh, your player characters are basically brought in with the promise of money 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 well that's what we call the hook the line 
mind of the singer. This is the hook. Yeah. It's like, hey, this is just like every adventure you've been on. We're going to go to Castle Ravenloft to get lots of loot. Yeah. And then you, 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 you catch him in the line with a story. And then right. Yeah, but then again, the letter that they are given by this messenger does have a, a hook in it that is supposed to appeal to those who want to be heroic and, and save people from evil things. So it isn't just a one-sided hook of money, money, money. There is the, you know, you have to save the the young girl from the evil thing, which is another great D&D trope. Yes, save the damsel in distress. So I want to pause here with the player perspective, and I want to go back a few pages, because now, meanwhile, the Dungeon Master is aware of a few other things. The Dungeon Master has done this thing at the very beginning called the Fortunes of Ravenloft. You want to tell us what the Fortunes of Ravenloft are? Okay, Fortunes of Ravenloft is um, it's a method by which not all the details of the adventure are already cast in stone. Certain elements of the adventure are determined randomly before you start play and can be changed if you want to play this game again. Uh, it, the way they are doing this, uh, well, when the DM does it initially, you just draw the cards and the cards determine certain things. But you can do this in play and have the card drawing uh, under the guise of being a, um, a fortune teller's card reading. Um, but they determine things like what the bad guy's goal is, uh, where certain um, um, important magic items are, uh, what are the other big things that are determined here. Well, there's an overall... Um, uh, modifier for yeah. uh, the big encounters, which can like, all right, we get bonuses, or oh crud, we're at a penalty just yeah. because someone pulled the dang card. Yeah, so there's, but I, I like, I kind of like this just because it does add this little element of uncertainty. You never know when you play this adventure module if you got the Benny, like the good thing that happened to you. Or mm -hmm. the baddie, the bad thing that happened to you. Or there's there's a couple cards that are in between. So like you get right. a bonus, but you also get a penalty. And the best thing of this though is uh, uh, the final goals of the evil bad guy. Um, again, one of the one of the bonuses of this adventure is that the big bad guy isn't just waiting in the castle for the players to you know activate him by entering the room. Uh, he has a goal, and the DM is supposed to have him pursuing that goal during the course of the adventure, and that goal can change. And, so, yes. Yeah, so the 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 antagonist of this, uh, Strahd von Zarevich, the vampire, um, you, you, figure it, you figure it out very early, so I'm not really spoiling anything if you're going to play this. Um, the vampire... Uh, he makes an appearance, and depending on the way that the dungeon master drew cards for the fortunes of Ravenloft, uh, that depends. That that, as Oldman was saying, that changes his his motivation. And also, he's going to be interacting with your player characters from time to time, and he's not just waiting around. 
as Oprah mentioned. Uh, right. This is a he is a recurring villain, which really adds an element of depth to the story that um, has not really been seen in a D and D adventure up until this point. Right. Then that's another you know good thing about this adventure that does hold up is that the he's not meant to be a one and done encounter. This is supposed to be someone that the players interact with multiple times, mostly to the detriment of the players. Yeah. But that that build up is supposed to make the final battle a little bit more satisfying as opposed to, you know, the bad guy saying, you know, we meet at last, you know, we've or never the totally first time. <laughs> yes. For the we've first never time met before. for the last time. <laughs> It's like, dude, I've heard a lot about you, but uh, I really don't really know you, but let's fight. So when I have run this, I've, I've often had the experience the players are, are when they, every single time they see Straw, they're like, oh, we are going to totally get him now. And every single time <laughs> when he gets away, they're like, all right, what do we do wrong? What do we need to do better next time? It's like, all right, we know, we know he has that trick. Now we need to figure out this. Um, he's he's a vampire, so he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And what I like to do is I like to, in each encounter, I like to reveal like one of his tricks, but not all. So, for example, have him have him turn to mist, uh, in as as one way that he gets away in a certain encounter. <clears throat> have him summon wolves in another encounter to have them waylay the PCs as he just runs off into the dark. <laughs> I will. I will come back and return for you. There's the accent again. Look, I, I'm uh, not going to be able to help it. He's a vampire. Okay. <laughs> and not, right, a, uh, not an angsty, like, emo um, vampire. A proper vampire. vampire. Yes. Yes, I'm going uh, to insert this right here. This is actually on my note. I did notes this time. Oh. Um, yes. Yes. Um, that this adventure has a lot of tropes from the old universal monster movies and the hammer horror films. Mm. So you're going to see a lot of things that appeared in those movies. And, uh, I mean, you should probably when reading through this. I mean, it's, I think it's a bonus to have, it's a bonus as a human being to have watched a lot of these movies. I'm going to say that right there. You're a human being. You should watch some of the universal monster movies from the thirties and some of the Hammer Horror films, just because. But when you're familiar with these films, then these tropes make a lot more sense, and you understand you know, why the villagers are doing certain things, why the vampire has that accent, uh, just all, all that sort of stuff. And if you, you take it from that point of view and realize this is based on fiction, based on fiction, that you have that extra buffer to kind of let you fill in a few of the blanks as you see fit for making a good adventure. All right. So for, for just a moment, let's pan out and talk about some of the accessories that kind of come with this to help you run the module. These were really um, groundbreaking too. The very beginning, you don't get just like a black and white map with little details. This is one of the very first adventures that I know of that has a full color map of uh of barovia which is the land in which this takes place yes and that's that was particularly cool because it really hadn't been done before um then 
We also have the castle of Ravenloft. We have a isometric view of the castle. We also have a front uh, view Elevation. of the castle as well. Yeah. And then you have the isometric uh, interior of the castle. So it kind of looks three-dimensional the way the castle is designed to kind of give you an idea of how this castle is structured because it has several tall towers and it probably would have been difficult if you were just looking at, at this castle from top down. And so this, this design of the castle, not only was it really important for helping the dungeon master see uh, and describe to his players what they were seeing, but it also made a really big impact on how dungeon maps were presented going forward because a lot of other adventures started to use similar designs or at least took some cues from this. For example, certain conventions on how to do stairways. Uh, we have yes. these, these winding spiral staircases and you can see that you know as they go up, there's a place where they just kind of stop, and as they go down, they kind of go into like a pit. And so that that style of doing the spiral staircase, because everybody in Dungeons and Dragons loves a spiral staircase, that style right. of doing the spiral staircase became a little bit of a mainstay in in D and D. And I'm trying to remember. Uh... Sutherland. These are Sutherland maps. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was kept thinking it was Diesel, but no, it's it's Sutherland who did these maps. So yes, uh, and this was pretty much a first to have this sort of view uh, for the interior maps, and uh, the color coding for the uh, wilderness map uh, serves multiple purposes. Uh, primarily it's for elevation to show you that when you take the uh, trail from the uh, village to the castle, you are making a huge change in elevation. Mm -hmm. And therefore uh, it is a winding trail. Yes. You can't just go straight up the mountain. Right. And in addition to that, uh, the color coding also shows you uh, which homes in the village uh, are occupied and which are abandoned. Yeah, so. that, that is something else. I, I kind of overlooked that. I'm, I know I noticed that at some point, like probably a long time ago. But yeah, this, when I, in the rereading, I was looking at that and I was, I was kind of overlooking it. I was like, hmm, okay. Which to me, I mean, it's, it gives you that sense that a lot of these places are just, you know, they're abandoned. People have left or people have died. Yeah. Uh, and these are the last few people that are clinging together. I kind of would have figured that after time, some of these people would have at least, like, moved to a house you know, like to where they would all be clumped together. I think it's funny that there's this one occupied house that's way by itself on the edge of town. It's yeah. like displaying, hey, hey, wolves, zombies, here we are. Come get us. It's easy to surround us. <laughs> yeah. But this is, Nobody... you know, my ancestor's home and my father's home and his father's home and I'm certain one of the other abandoned homes was your cousin, so that's close enough. All right, so any more about maps? I mean, the maps are great. The maps are probably 
the maps and the the, uh, the depiction of the castle is the thing that makes most people fall in love with this adventure. Yeah, it's it's the that that alone is worth is worth a huge mention here. Yes, and these maps have been. I mean, as many times as this adventure has been reprinted and re-edited and redone, and they always do these maps in pretty much the same way because they are impressive. So. I would say there's there's really four key elements about this adventure that were somewhat novel or at the very least new to Dungeons and Dragons. And that was we mentioned the maps, we also mentioned the the fates of Ravenloft. Another one is that this was really kind of the first horror themed adventure. Now, Dungeons and Dragons has had, you know, up until this point, I think they'd already released two Horrors in 1981, which was a pretty nasty adventure to bring your players through if you're a dungeon master. Um, however, this adventure wasn't horror in the same sense that just like every room you walked into was just going to flat out kill you with no saving throw. This was this is more like you had this creeping sense of dread that was building up on you. Like a horror movie. Yes, exactly. You're building tension. And that's how it starts out. You know, you get the letter. And you go investigate, and you enter the lands of Barovia, and these gates, they open up for you as you arrive, and then they close, and they never open for you again. You're surrounded by choking fog. There are these abandoned buildings. Some of them only have one person remaining in Things like this that start to build. The... The people of the town are all scared to death of their their regents, Drod von Zarevich. And um, as you, as the players learn more about this land, they just they there is more and more that they know something bad is going to happen eventually, right? Mm-hmm. So we have the rising tension there, and then. Uh, now this is one of the points where I'll have to have to do my deconstruction of this. Yeah. Uh, as much as this adventure gets praise for being a horror adventure, uh, I, in a lot of ways this is just a veneer put on top of a standard dungeon. Uh, I'm certain we'll we'll get to it in a second, but we were talking about the the um, the gosh darn it I keep forgetting words. I'm getting old. Um, the wilderness adventure that goes on right. around this, as well as the village and then the castle. Uh, ultimately, though, this is a dungeon and a village to retreat to. Yeah. This is this is keep on the borderlands in a strange way because yeah. there's a dungeon and, over there. And a lot like that, and you have it, it's a. It is a it is a very large dungeon, but yeah, that's in in its essence, it's basically what it is. Yes. So, uh, did we want to? Uh, I, I will just dive? add to that the veneer the veneer is what gives this a little bit more of character compared to Keep on the Borderlands. So, and there's plenty of adventure modules that are like that which have you know a village or a home base of some sort or maybe an encampment maybe a castle and then you have the dungeon where the players go to 
and the players go to the dungeon, they retreat and they rest, they go to the dungeon, loot more, kill more, re retreat and rest. This, this, this adventure is always kind of building up, because every time they move and do something, there's always the threat that Strahd is going to come after them. So the players can't just, like, sit around and relax until they're completely healed, necessarily. They can't necessarily wait until um, the next day uh, at all times, because they never know if sleeping at night is going to be the thing that brings Strahd around looking for them. Maybe, maybe he's waiting to try and bite one of the PCs at night and turn them into a vampire, and... You know, at some point in the adventure, maybe they figure that out. They're like, every time we try to rest, this guy Strahd tries and comes to bite somebody. So maybe they don't even want to do that. Uh, yeah, this basically is um, the adventure to force your players to tell you you're being unfair. <laughs> it, it's just written that way. Oh, but you're being so unfair. Sorry, it's written that way. So, all right, uh, uh, wilderness. Yeah, there's a few things that the players can encounter. There's there are a number of you know there's you, you have our random encounter tables, and then there's the uh, there's the okay there's the gypsy encampment. Um, there are some there are some places, and you know we're not gonna I I don't. I don't like to use the word gypsy. I will say that that's the word that's used here. So, um, future adventures in this, uh, future adventures in Ravenloft will design an entirely different culture, sort of based on the Roma, um, that is a little bit different and doesn't touch on that whole, you know, gypsy um, stereotype yeah, I... quite as much. But, I'm personally not bothered by it because, again, I see this as multiple layers of fiction separating it from what could ever possibly be. The, the, yeah, and I'm the, just pointing it out for people the, that are yes. listening. It's, it's something you're going to in this, There are a lot gypsies, of gypsy stereotypes here. The gypsies in this adventure, just like the gypsies in those old horror movies I was mentioning earlier, are about as close to anything in reality as... Um, the four movies are to actual Norse um, uh, religion. I didn't realize that was going to kill the room. <laughs> are, are you still there? Yeah, it's it, well. Yeah. The the, prob the problem here is is you know inaccurate depiction. If you, if you're going to call them gypsies, you know they don't. It, it doesn't seem like they went to a lot of trouble to actually learn about gypsy culture. So they could have just used a different word. Anyway, we're going to move on from that. I'm just giving listeners a heads up that that word is used a lot in here. And there are some, there are some stereotypes. So there's a, there's a fortune teller and the fortune teller can change the fates of Raymond. If the player teller characters decide to go and see the fortune teller, fortune teller will read the player character's fortune. Not only will she change the fates of Ravenloft, but she will also give the player characters some hints by reading their, their cards. I, I guess I'm not 
I think saying she changes the fates of Ravenloft might be giving a wrong idea. Uh, the idea is that the DM does fates of Ravenloft beforehand so that he has answers to these questions, whether or not the PCs go to the encampment and have the card reading done. Right. So and it's just that if they go to the, if they never go to the encampment, then you already have where everything's going to be and what Strahd's going to do. If they go to the encampment and have their cards read, then the results then are what the DM should use for the adventure to tailor it to what happens in the role-playing. So what, what could happen, what I'm trying to get at here, is that uh, your player characters could just completely ignore the encampment and be like, eh, that's just people, we'll talk to them later if we need to. We're on our way to the dungeon. And mm. to get to the dungeon, uh, they have a couple encounters with Strahd and some minions inside, and then they're heading back, and they're like, okay, that was messed up. And they're like... <laughs> Maybe on their I'm, way back, they're like, okay, maybe we need to learn a little bit more about this place. Uh, let's talk to these, these, these people in the encampment. And then they, then they could get the reading. The point is, is that the, the adventure, if the DM is going to run it this way, the adventure does give you guidelines that, uh, yes, if Madam Ava, the, the, the fortune teller, if she reads the player character's fortune, that does change the fates. And so, you could have a and, a, and I think this is kind of interesting in a way. You could, you could play with it that way. The DM could also, you know, fudge the cards somehow, right? To make it come out that way so that the, the story as has been presented continues and Strahd's motivation continues. Or Strahd's behavior changes in a peculiar way. And maybe the player characters don't know exactly why. Maybe the Strahd has been fighting people and now Strahd seems curiously preoccupied with creating this fear of darkness. Oh, did you okay. get enough fights? I never thought of it that way before. I guess that's kind of weird. That that does give Madame Ava this strange influence over the game. Yeah, she, she kind of does. Um, and um, there's, there's this interesting tie between Madame Ava and Strahd, which in this adventure you don't get a lot of details. Uh, but you could elaborate on that, and future adventures and sequels in, in Ravenloft have. Uh, yes. So, anyway, that's an interesting thing to explore. That's So there, you, you, you get a little bit around Ravenloft. Is there anything else that you were thinking about for the, for the wilderness area? Uh, for the wilderness area, uh, I was going to do a quick glance at the um, tables. Most of it is out of the the random encounter tables. Uh, most of it is the usual horror movie tropes of wolves and bats. Uh, during the daytime, there are a lot of encounters with villagers and gypsies, which primarily are not for you know attack, but for let's get some story going. Uh, at nighttime, you're pretty much back to you know wolves and bats, um, and ghosts. ghosts and ghouls and things that go bump in the night. There are a uh, I'll just say overall there are a lot of things in this adventure that drain energy levels. Yeah, and that was something from those old editions that was a big dread. Uh, so yeah, when you're talking earlier, your example of the players going to the castle and coming back to the 
to this uh, fortune teller, I was imagining, you know, like they go to the castle at, at level six and as they're coming back, they're like level one and two. <laughs> Just totally possible. Uh, I will point out there are no humanoids on these tables. Yeah. There, there are no goblins. There are no, uh, no orcs. Uh, orcs. No gnolls. Um, no anything like that. This is kind of un D D in some ways because it does not use those um tolkien-esque elements or the more fairy tale elements i think uh, it also it, adds a certain flavor to the land of barovia yes like this is a place that even the elves won't touch y'all <laughs> So like when you when you get drained down to level one or two and it's like don't worry we'll just you know kill some goblins and level up like nope it ain't happening <laughs> so yeah that's that's it for uh, uh, the encounters for uh, the wilderness all right so we made our way to the castle what, what uh, did we get? castle did we skip the village already or was that part of the wilderness oh yeah we kind of talked about the village I didn't know if you wanted to go into more well, we talked about like the map showing that a lot of it is abandoned. Did you want to talk about uh, some of the people you meet, the people in your neighborhood? Eh, I, I mean, I don't really care to go into details. Um, if you want to highlight one, that's that's probably cool. Uh, like maybe we could talk about the burgomaster, but yeah, it does I, have I felt like you know I gave like an overview. So if there's something you okay. want to highlight, go ahead. Uh, we have the tropes of the uh, the young maiden in distress. Um, I think it's funny that she is potentially an NPC that can accompany their party, and she's pretty kick ass. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, she she apparently forgot to take a few levels in damsel because uh, it, it's all like fighter. So uh, uh, they do use the the trope right out of Dracula of her being the some sort of reincarnation of Strahd's long lost love. Um, um I, I've used that once. Uh it's also set up to where you could uh have one of the player characters uh be that instead of her. Um that's a, assuming that you have a appropriately cooperative player character. Because you don't not want to just, you know, saddle them with. Oh yeah, by the way, Strahd loves you. Yeah. So. Consent in gaming is a thing, y'all. Get it? <laughs> Was that a plug for the book? No, I'm just saying. Okay, there's a book called Consent in Gaming. I thought you were plugging it. Well, now that I've plugged it. Not you. my book. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, the usual stuff. There's the. Um, the people in the village that like, I run the shop. I'm going to take all your money. And uh, I run the church. I'm scared all the time. Um, yeah, the usual stuff for a village. Stuff to build tension. Uh, I personally think that you should just like get rid of all that and write something of your own to give it more personality. Uh, I think the village is just begging for more personality. But for the vast majority of dungeon masters who especially those who are trying this kind of for the first time or maybe second or third time. I think what they give you is is fine. 
and mm -hmm. it, it does give you a little bit more personality than you get out of a lot of villages or you know towns or home bases that player characters can use. Okay, castle. Yeah, you arrive at the castle. It's big. It's taller uh, I... than any real castle in existence. <laughs> Actually, I'm not certain that that's true. It is. It is. It is certifiably true. I I think that there might be a, a some kind of weird French castle that might be taller. Uh, uh, but yeah, 360 uh, feet tall, and I think the tallest castle is a little shy of 150. But anyway. Okay. Uh, I want to start up the the first section before you get into the the actual nitty gritty of the castle is the random encounter tables. Uh, there are a lot of uh, energy drain uh, undead. Uh, you, you you pray that the DM rolls for the giant spiders. <laughs> yeah, every time you're like, please roll giant spiders. Uh, I I I really love the um, uh, one to four angry villagers, and they are brandishing torches and pitchforks in a ridiculous uh, display of force. And I'm just thinking, how did they get here? What wrong turn did they make in Barovia to get from the village to just somewhere rushing through the co uh, the castle going, oh, we're going to get you. I just It just seems so out of place. It seems like something like you'd open a door in a Scooby-Doo cartoon and these mad villagers pop out. Um, yeah, that and then, of course, uh, there's also the... Uh, you know, it's like that was one to, one to four villagers, and then later in the table, there's one to four vampires. Yeah, like like Strahd wasn't enough. No. Let's have more. Yeah. Now, gra granted, Strahd is a vampire turned up to eleven in this adventure, but just to add one by four standard vampires as a possible random encounter is yeah pretty darn bad i also love that in the middle of that table is one to two rust monsters because you know we've got this whole we have horror a, theme going on we've yeah, got spiders we we've got bats we've got away zombies. from our players we have to take away their weapons and armor too exactly the only that, that, thing this adventure is missing is a monster that just devours like spell books so that <laughs> you can properly screw over the magic users <laughs> Uh, that's that's that we need to add that in. We need to add the the bookworms in the library. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk that the that the wizard would be the one that would kind of like escape out of this? Nah, they'll be like level one. All right, so here's what I'm gonna say about the castle. I'm gonna give I'm gonna I'm gonna give you like three broad strokes, and then I'll I'll turn it over to you. Um, uh oh. So the castle. It is full of undead. It is full of traps, and it is full of tricks. It is full of some... It has a few things that, if you investigate, will actually help you. Uh, but for the most part, there are nasty surprises. There's a lot of empty rooms, which have creepy stuff in them that can just build the tension, which I like. In the above top of the castle... This is kind of like Strahd's quarters. He keeps some people up there. I'm not going to go into details, but they are interesting. You can interact with them. 
And then down below, there are the catacombs, where you can learn more about Strahd's family and a little bit about his history. Somewhere, and get a, few, get a few laughs along the way, too. Yeah. Somewhere, depending on the fates of Ravenloft, there are three items that are scattered throughout this castle. The player characters opt in best case scenario, find at least two of these items, and then when they do, they will be able to defeat Strahd. Otherwise, they are going to have a really hard time. And uh, that that is that is that is my basic overview. Open. Um. Okay. This this is one big mushed up dungeon. Uh. As much as we complain about other dungeons that have like different humanoids that totally hang out peaceably right next to each other and never seem to fight or compete over resources until the player characters show up uh this dungeon is so many things shoved together uh we have this castle section up front that has like throne rooms and fancy bedrooms for the count um and fancy dining room for the you know when you you know i invite you to dinner and oh my god it's darth vader and boba fett um it's just you know it has that sort of section to it then there is a a um a basement that is part uh pantry which would like totally make sense and then part barracks for armed forces that aren't here um there's another section which is this tower that has tower stuff in it it's just this big tower it, it's it's some i almost think that they forgot to do something with this tower and oh yeah there's a room at the top yeah there's totally a room at the top we'll put something in there yeah uh, in later I, editions i just want to add this in later editions uh of this adventure and its sequels they do finally figure out a use for that tower yeah <laughs> but it's not uh, it's not in this adventure this the original yeah. Uh, there's, up to the top. Hmm, there's nice another view. yeah there's another tower that has quote guests of the count which are just additional encounters um i think the reason that there are two towers in this castle is for the sole reason of having the uh, bridge without any railings that crosses between the two of them so you can have a fight on this precarious platform um the one end of the castle is a chapel. Um, underneath that is the crypts. Uh, this, by all accounts, should be somewhere between three and five separate dungeons. This should not necessarily be all smashed together. Well, by smashing it's an opportunity to level up after all this. I, I guess so. But yeah, this this is a lot of what really kind of seems like separate things shoved together to make one big castle. And as much as we love the way the map looks, and it was just a breakthrough for them to draw it that way, if you look at it from any sort of historical context, it is the worst castle ever. (laughs) There is no way for the guards to like get to where the guards need to be. Uh, There is one bedroom 
I guess he wasn't expecting anybody else. I guess if you're a vampire, you don't expect anybody else. You just you just make the one bedroom. Um, there's like a dining room and the only available like kitchen is like this deadly adventure away from it's like how do they serve the food don't don't they have to go through like seven wandering monster encounters to get to the dining room um it's just there's spiral staircases that go to one location it's like yeah we need to get in the spiral staircase that goes up uh 500 feet to go to one place it doesn't allow you to go anywhere else and then right next to it, like 20 feet away, is another spiral staircase that goes to one other. As a way, you know, it's a maze. And it and I guess maze. that's that's I great think... for a dungeon, but it's horrible for a a castle. So I, I really don't think that the, that the designers were trying to make a realistic style medieval castle. I think they were trying to design a, what you said, a maze. I think they were trying to confuse the players yeah. and get them, get them lost because... If you're lost, that's just one other thing on top of all the other stuff that you have to worry about. Yes, and since so many of those spiral staircases look identical, it is very easy to, like, weren't we here before? Yeah, it's very easy to do that. Um, oh, did I mention the, the actual dungeon under the dungeon with the uh, torture yeah. chamber? Yeah, there's a dungeon under the dungeon. Because we totally need that. And I love the traps that's like, oh, you know, I'm just walking down this uh, hallway and boom, I'm in the dungeon. And I'm walking down this other hallway and boom, I'm in the dungeon now too. Those At least I have actually loved just because it plops your player characters into some place that they have n now have no idea how to get out of. Well, I was going to say... to explore in less you know with less planning like they they're like okay we don't know where we're at this is this is a horror movie trope where you know you 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 go down the chute and suddenly you just land in this place and so you have to wander off in some direction hoping you can find a way out i, right. I really like that i like that these traps are mechanical traps that it does not rely on the teleportation trap mm -hmm. from tomb of horrors but then i remembered there are teleportation traps in this adventure as well so, so there goes that one Most uh, of them yeah. are mechanical. uh i will also point out that uh the all the ceilings in this uh castle are just impossibly high like the main entry i think is uh a 40 or 50 foot ceiling we mentioned this. The castle is taller and, than any castle has any right to be. Uh, well, this is where I was going. I was one of the uh, reprints or reimaginings that was done later reduced all the ceiling heights. Uh, just for this, I somewhere I guess it needs to be more realistic. Let's reduce all the ceiling heights. And then when they did the elevation uh, picture on the map, they changed all the numbers, but they kept the picture the same. So it's like it's totally wrong. There's no way it could look like that and have those numbers. But I, I guess, you know, realism just, it's like they made this attempt towards realism and then didn't follow through. All right. All right. So um, I, I just want to say one other word about the crypt. Um, if the player characters look around in the crypts, they will find these little, you know, nameplates with an epitaph underneath. 
and uh, this is how you can kind of learn about Strahd's family and some of the people around him. I just want to share this one because it's my favorite. Sir Cedric Spinwitovich, Admiral Spinwitovich. Confused though he was, he built the greatest naval force ever assembled in a landlocked country. All right. I hope there was at least a large enough lake somewhere. <laughs> if you look at the map, not. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, art, art. The interior art, I think, is almost exclusively Clive Caldwell. Um, so it has. Uh, Caldwell had what I refer to as a chunky design for objects. Uh, you know, people looked fine, but. If a person was wearing an item of jewelry, it just seemed to be impossibly large and chunky. Nobody ever had like a small, you know, diamond ring. It always had to be some immense thing. And the way uh, he drew uh, uh, weapons was just as big and chunky. Yeah, and Arena's um, got this sword that is just way... Yeah. How are you going to wrap your hands around that? I'm looking at that same picture right now, and I cannot help but think that she's Tanya Roberts. <laughs> Do you think she looks like Tanya Roberts? Um, maybe. I, I think this is this is Tanya Roberts, and based on the time period, this would have been like right after Beastmaster. She definitely has that. <laughs> she definitely has that hairdo. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, and because they did all Caldwell for the interior art, it has a very consistent style. Which um, I like. Yes. It, it keeps everything going. Uh, like, yeah, his zombies are very zombie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of, and everything's in black and white. It makes me wonder if his original art was black and white or if they if he originally did it in color that would be amazing if, if these pieces like, were originally in color they kind of look like pencils pencil drawings but well it just it's so smooth it, it makes is. me think well that's a, i mean that's a, that's that's the pencil drawing style well it's amazingly smooth that this is pencils or even um charcoal it's fantastic. But okay, they are, they are extremely uh, well done. Um, yeah, I I don't have I don't have anything else to say really. Okay. Um, did we want to talk about the the optional ending? Mm, what? Uh, sure. Nah. Maybe. I I don't know. It's not. It's 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 really it's a really small tidbit. I mean, it's there, it's there for the if the dungeon master wants to use it. It's kind of like it kind of just gives you a little bit more about the background. Okay. Uh, let's see some of the other uh, uh, names on the um, tombs. Like one of them was Sir Eric Vunderbucks. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and that one doesn't have yeah, an epitaph. Yeah, but some of them, well, the name itself is funny. So, right. Vunderbucks. And I think a lot, that's supposed to be uh, like Ardent Palette. He was a chef. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I guess are we done? I think we're done. I mean, this is. I think so. I'll, I'll give. I'll give it my final. Um, I'll give it my final. My final grade for its time. It was absolutely revolutionary. Uh, to have this adventure with a certain element of replayability, and also have an adventure that had a theme beyond we're going to go kill some monsters and get some treasure. Uh, this kind of introduced horror to uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which was a good thing, and it was really good at showing Dungeon Masters how you can build tension without necessarily killing your players at the very beginning because they don't have to but yeah, they're gonna see it right the, the horror is all about you know the the building up to the really bad thing that happens later on um and there is a lot of building that goes into this and so i i just i think that that is a good thing i still think i would play this adventure today if somebody said they wanted to run it i would i would be totally happy to play this uh as an ad and d character um, and hey, you know, if you do want to run it, let me know. But <laughs> I, I told you, I'm already doing this campaign. I have no idea what's going to happen when they get there. Well, no, our our, our listeners. You know, oh, uh, okay. Our, lis- our listener. Our listener. <laughs> Whom we love. Because <laughs> it's Josh's sister. Um, I again, this is a groundbreaking module. Uh, the maps, the concepts, um, the idea of putting story ahead of just the looting. Um, this was a, a milestone in D&D. Um, whether or not it's still playable, I think involves the mindset of the DM and the players. If they can put themselves in the mindset of mid eighties and, and have this certain simplicity to it, then yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, I think that it might be overthought. Maybe even I'm overthinking this by not allowing myself to just enjoy the fun of it before, but, um, overall it still has a lot of, um, uh, it's still a good foundation for an adventure. It's, there's enough here that if it doesn't match what you want, you can make it match what you want. You can uh, beef up the uh, village, um, change things around for Strahd. Uh, my personal uh, preference, which I'm probably not going to do in my current campaign because it would involve more work than I'm willing to put into it, uh would be to separate the castle into separate places. Um, I wanted to have a a much larger village than Barovia and maybe put the castle in the town as opposed to away on a high peak. Uh, if it's in the center of the town, I, I know they're trying to get the idea of Strahd being able to look down over the village but looking down from the mountainous peak 
I don't think has as much eminence as having the castle on the highest point in the smack dab middle of the town. Uh, having him on that separate peak, I kept thinking of the Grinch looking down over Whoville. And uh, that just doesn't have the same oomph for me. Uh, I would also want to put the So there's maybe even a bigger church in town, maybe even a cathedral. Put the crypts beneath that. Uh, separate right, so the. These are the oh, things now I'm going would, too far. These are the okay, things yeah. that you would change. I mean, yes. what, what do you think of Is the that... adventure? Okay, fine. Edit this all out. See if I. I guess I still like it. I think if somebody offered to run this, I'd do it. If someone. Uh, if someone wanted me to run this adventure, I'd do it. Uh, I think I would still would want one change, and that would be to run it in a basic expert format, one of the easier rules format, as opposed to... Uh, all right, so final thoughts on Ravenloft. Uh, I still like it. It's a great milestone. Um, I'd run it now if someone asked me to except I'd prefer to run it in uh, Basic Expert as opposed to First Edition. Um, Which you could pretty easily do. Yeah, yeah, it, it would totally work out pretty much the same. It just, it would save me on a couple of details. Yeah, and Basic Expert is kind of a cleaner system, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's great. So, yeah. I mean, I'm. it's not this great, wonderful, golden, perfect adventure that I thought it was when I was younger. But it's still something that I have multiple uh, print copies of. And uh, if you want more of a sandbox, there are later iterations of this adventure that have been published for later editions. Um, but yes. this is a pretty cheap buy. I think I got it for five bucks on Drive Through RPG. It was it was worth the five dollars just to read it again. So yeah. Oh, we didn't mention this. We thought this was funny. It's not really a sandbox. This adventure is what we call a shoebox. Yeah, it's a shoebox. Great shoebox adventure. Yes, yes. So uh, I yeah, guess that's play play through it and have 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 some fun with it. You know what? Simple is fine. Simple is good. Simple can be lots and lots of fun. Yes, and if you want to use the accents, it's okay to use the accents. It is okay to use accents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm Alfred G. Oldman. He's Josh Davis. Together we are Back in Time Critics. This was our podcast. Thank you for your time and attention. The Bit Critics Podcast is a production of 3D6 In Order. It is hosted by Alfred Olpen and me, Josh Davis. Production and editing also by me. Bridal thanks to Martita Hunt, Yvonne Monlauer, and Frida Jackson. Our intro music is Dead Frosh by Starfrosh. Our outro music is Tomorrow Belongs to Cats by Dogs and Sigmund. All music is copyrighted by its respective owners and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Our email address is bitcritics at protonmail.com, and you can find us on Twitter at bitcritics. Tell us what you think of the show and what you would like us to review next. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, every natural one is an opportunity. Thanks for listening.